This is New Musings on New Music, and I'm Norm Adams, and I'm here with Barbara Pritchard. Hi, Barbara. That's me. Hello, Norm. And today we're going to talk to Julia Mermelstein, who I only learned about through Barbara playing her music. That's right. What uh, year was that? It was pre-pandemic, so who knows now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sometime in the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we were both uh, struck by that music, and uh, and Julia's been on our list for a, a long time, so we're happy to, to get to speak with her today. This is also one of our CMC partnership episodes. We're so grateful to the CMC to being on board with this, and uh, so connected to that is um, Julia is an associate composer, a young associate composer mm. with the Canadian Music Centre, so... Uh, we're delighted to have her a part of this sort of mini series we're doing. Yeah, it's been fun this uh, season to talk to these to emerging. We've been focusing on emerging uh, composers, and it's been really fun to to get to know some of them. And Julia is one of those. Yeah. So now we can listen to our conversation with Julia Mermelstein. Excellent. Let's do it. You are listening to New Musings on New Music, where Norm Adams and Barbara Pritchard converse with guests from the world of contemporary art music. We are exploring some of the fascinating ideas found there and trying to demystify the wild and wonderful music. We are delighted this episode to be talking with Julia Mermelstein. Um, I'm going to leave it at that and let her tell us who she is. Welcome, Julia. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm a composer, uh, kind of based in Toronto right now, uh, originally from Halifax, uh, where you both are right now. Um, yeah, I've been composing uh, music more recently for orchestra and larger ensembles, uh, but I also focus a lot on chamber music, especially uh, in writing uh, mixed music with electronics, uh, with acoustic instruments. And I also love to explore uh, more theatrical elements in my music, like incorporating choreography with musicians. Um, so yeah. The first time I heard Julia's music, I heard your music, Julia, oh, was cool. in a concert with Barbara Pritchard playing your music. And I saw the recording of that on your SoundCloud uh, today. And I admit that I, had, I hadn't heard your work before then. And this Ooh. and your name was one that Barbara had been bringing up constantly through our uh, discussions about who we we're going to talk to on this podcast. So we're happy to, to have you here. So the first question we always ask is, what has been your journey um, to this point where you're sort of an established or at least a, an emerging to established com uh, Canadian composer? How did you get to this place, this amazing uh, place? Yeah, it's it's been quite a musical journey for me. Um, I've, I've always been interested in composing uh, through like many different kinds of forms and media over the years. Um, like when in Halifax, where I grew up, um, I was actually heavily involved in a rock band and doing songwriting. We even like recorded our own album and we toured a bit. Um, so that was kind of like my first way into writing music. 
Uh, we what were was called the band? Lampshades and Offlights. Very funky name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Offshades and and Offlights. Yeah. Offlights. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't ask. Don't ask. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. You just did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, we were heavily involved in like studio recordings and that kind of thing and recording our own music on our side. And from there, like I got involved in Jerry Grinelli's creative music workshop. And that was like a huge influence for me in opening up very different kinds of music making. Um, and that has always stuck with me. Um, has been a big influence for me over the years. From from there, I I studied composition in uh, university. I went to Concordia um, in Montreal to study composition and piano performance. Um, and there, I really got involved in doing interdisciplinary pieces. So working with the dance department and the film department, and that really kind of laid the groundwork for me in wanting to pursue different kinds of collaborations with music. Like even now, uh, with my influence of dance, like I heavily studied pretty intensely like classical ballet in Halifax and I wanted to continue that passion in some way within my music and so being at Concordia and being able to connect with dancers there really kind of sparked a new kind of inspiration for me of how I could incorporate choreography into my own music or even choreograph um, with dancers and musicians and um, really sparked that new kind of inspiration for me with dance and music. So yeah. so you started nice. as a pianist? Were you playing piano in the rock band? I... No, I actually was playing guitar. Um, I studied with wow. uh, Is there anything Jeff you can't Torbert. do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some things for sure. Um, but yeah, guitar wasn't my main instrument. I actually started writing music on guitar rather than piano because I was a lot more classically trained with piano mm. and was yeah. only reading music until CMW. <laughs> and then I was able to kind of break free from just notated music. But for me, guitar was a very freeing uh, part of my musical expression because it was, it was a very new instrument and I felt like I could just dive into the sounds and not worry about technique or anything like that, so, mm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. And when did you go to CMW? Were you still yeah, in high school at that uh, point? I went uh, when I was first, I think, I think I was actually 14 when I did it the first time. Amazing. Yeah, that wow. was very intense. Very That's intense. hardcore. Um, and yeah. then the next yeah, time good. I did it uh, when I was 17. So, yeah, both on piano. Okay, yeah. nice. Can no. you give us more an idea of okay. what, how that all works? Because I'm not that familiar with, with the CMW. So. Oh. Okay, so it's a creative music workshop where um, it's heavily involved in free jazz improvisation. Um, and so there's a lot of workshops in creative process, how to approach just music making in general through meditation through different kinds of vocal exercises to movement to um, 
Yeah, it's, it's very diverse in terms of the range of types of artistic practices we would explore as a group. And then we would all be um, uh, divided into ensembles where we would have an instructor, uh, one of the mentors, who would kind of guide us through different ensemble exercises, how we could all play together with very different kinds of musical backgrounds, um, and how, how we could start improvising uh, from just one small little idea and how that could grow into like this larger organic forming thing, so yeah. Just to expand a little bit, CMW, or the Creative Music Workshop, was invented by Jerry Grinelli, the late great uh, drummer, jazz drummer. Um, and it has been a great uh, seed for mu young musicians like Julia mm -hmm. and for older musicians as well. It's changed a lot of lives. And the CMW continues uh, each year, even though Jerry has, has passed on. Uh, it's still run every year at, during the Halifax Jazz Festival. So, yeah, lots of my friends went to CMW. Is your composition born from improvisation still? No. Um, I definitely incorporate some uh, loosely improvised material, but it's definitely mixed with notation. So sometimes I have uh, places where I have a set uh, notated gesture, um, and I leave it up to the musician of how that gesture could evolve over time. So repeating it uh, exactly how written or starting to embellish it. Um, but I don't normally use a lot of improvisation in my music now. Yeah. Okay. So it's through composed, yeah. completely notated. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just thinking of the choreography. I know you wrote me a little piece. Um, is that one imprint? Is imprint a little yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of my, my variation project pieces. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, you don't realize this, but when I saw that I was going to have to do some gestures, I nearly freaked out, Julia. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I do. <laughs> I'm not a dancer. <laughs> but once, once you know, you, you talked me through it and said that you wanted, and I started doing it, and it... I realized that it worked and, and you know, I, I became comfortable with it. But mm. do you get much pushback from performers when you ask them to do choreography as well? Um, I, to be honest, I leave that kind of element to collaborations where I know the musician could handle it or would be comfortable mm. in exploring it. So there's there's some collaborators who I would not <laughs> who I would not approach <laughs> with that for sure. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's always like a collab collaborative thing where I want to make sure the musician is super comfortable with it and yeah. we tweak things to make it feel good in their body and it's how you also work with dancers. You have a a particular idea, a particular movement, and you don't actually know what it's going to be like until you're working with the dancer. So it's kind of a similar approach where mm -hmm. I have this idea for a movement, but then we adapt it to the musician's body. Now, the recordings that I was listening to, to uh, over the last couple of days were mm -hmm. just audio recordings. Do you often ask your performers, your musical performers, to move? or have gesture 
in your composition, your musical uh, composition? Yeah, some, some pieces I definitely do. Sometimes it's very subtle. Um, so similar to the piece I wrote for mm -hmm. you, Barbara, it's, it's not super extensive in terms of the movements. It is a bit more subtle in the types of gestures. Um, so sometimes I do incorporate just very subtle movements that are kind of just an extension of the musical gesture. But there are some pieces where the musicians are actually moving throughout the performance space. Um, and those I definitely either collaborate with a choreographer or sometimes I actually choreograph all of it myself. Um, but sometimes I'm, I'm really interested in exploring the whole performance space with musicians and not limiting it to just an auditory experience. I find it um, really interesting to explore that whole uh, visual space as well and how to engage um, the mm -hmm. music just from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Nice. I think a lot of people get upset about contemporary music because, or, 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 or turned off or afraid uh, of contemporary music because they think it's this solitary auditory, unfamiliar auditory experience and the, the visual element may actually be more important. Certainly, it's easy to have uh, contemporary music mm, accepted yes. when there are dancers involved. If I've found from my experience, yeah. that's, that's uh, for sure. In all, I think all of the pieces that I listened to, yep. there were electronics involved. I don't know if I ever... Are, is that true? Do you include electronics Almost, in all of your pieces? Uh, everything. Um, there are some orchestra pieces that don't oh, have electronics. Um, right. And there's right. one piano right. duo, actually, that doesn't have electronics. But for the majority, yeah. Okay. okay. So what do electronics do for you that acoustic mm. instruments can't? I really love to find ways to extend the sound of the acoustic instruments. Um, so with electronics, I really like them to be a part of the same sound world um, as uh, the ensemble or uh, solo instruments. I really want it to seem like a seamless environment. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in kind of extending like the textural and gritty sounds of some of the acoustic instruments and kind of bring that into um, a slightly different space. I also find it an interesting play to, uh, to figure out um, like bringing these older traditions of working with acoustic instruments into maybe a more contemporary context. And I feel like electronics um, kind of helps bridge that gap as well in bringing sounds that are maybe familiar to, um, mm. to listeners. And sometimes your, your electronics are fixed media. Like I think, Barbara, your piece was fixed, uh, the longer fixed media, piece, yes. right? Um, I pretty sure there was no processing was so I can't it, it's been several years and COVID has just wiped so much from my brain yeah it was fixed it was fixed but having a bit of reverb and ampl amplification as well yeah okay right 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 yes yeah yeah so how do you decide when 
it's going to be a fixed media kind of event or whether there's live processing I've actually involved. only I've been exploring live processing more recently. Um, that's kind of a newer uh, path for me. Okay. Um, and starting to learn a bit more about Max MSP and trying to create more um, organic systems. Um, I'm really interested in exploring that uh, in more recent pieces. But it also depends on the collaboration as well, similar to the, uh, to the choreography. Um, not all musicians are willing to, to do live processing because it can be a more tricky setup uh, for them if they're performing the work on their own, if I'm not present. Um, so I also keep those things in mind of how adaptable it can be for different kinds of performance situations. So sometimes it comes from a very practical mm. uh, point of view. Mm. That's a great approach. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> were you there, Julia, when yeah, Barbara I was. played? I think you were, weren't you? I yeah. didn't meet you, but yeah, I was at that was concert. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm interested in is what you're, you use the word collaboration a lot. Uh, and I think that this maybe maybe this is something we've observed over the last few years, Barbara, that composers are talking more about collaboration and less about kind of creating these pieces yeah. and putting them yeah. out there in the world. And and they're kind, it's kind of becoming a more uh, collective process in a way, which I find as really a, as exciting a, as and interesting. As a performer who doesn't do any composition or improvisation, I, I do find the collaboration a much more interesting way of approaching a program. I used to love getting a score and working it out, but the whole collaboration back right. and forth thing is, um, it, it's, it's a lovely, um, lovely approach. Mm -hmm. Did you feel, I'm going to interview <laughs> Barbara for a second now. Um, Barbara, did you feel playing Julia's piece that did you feel like you're a part of the whole process I think I did, or even though I'm, I'm still a, just sure. interpreter I, I think that was part of a program I was going to tour mm -hmm. and therefore it needed to be something that I could do without Julia being there so that I think it was more or less sort of set and then Julia came to Halifax um, and helped with the must have been the premiere we did here but I can remember just thinking how easily it all went um, hmm. Just the whole process of getting in touch with Julia, having the piece written, playing it with Julia there, and then taking it other places, and it just all worked really, really well. So, uh, is that answering your question? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. the the uh, The electronic element does add a different an, a different layer to uh, the whole process, and and having it be easy is smart and safe. And we want that <laughs> safety and smartness. So I listened to quite a bit of the Wanted recording. Is that, uh, a, is that no, an album? It's, it's just uh, an extended piece that I wrote. It was actually my first uh, acousmatic piece that I okay. wrote, actually. Okay. Yeah. 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 I was interested that mm -hmm. it was all, all electronics or acousmatic. How did you decide to compose that way over this kind of combination of instruments and electronic sounds that we hear in many yeah, of your other um, works? At that point, I was actually just starting to, to compose with electronics. Um, so that was kind of like my second 
big electronic piece um, for me. And it kind of stemmed out of doing um, an electronic music workshop with uh, Rose Bolton, who's based in Toronto. And uh, that was kind of like my first real intense uh, study of electronic music and learning how to mix and record and that piece kind of grew out of that uh, that workshop and uh, having Rose as a mentor and and so what tools are you using to create this kind of this kind of music it sounds very it sounds very rich and sophisticated and I'm wondering what, um, what are you so using? that piece and a lot of my other pieces, I do a combination of field recordings and samples that I record. And so I've kind of uh, been accumulating a huge sound library of, of different kinds of sounds um, that I've been recording over time. And so I mix some samples from that library mixed with actual synths. So a lot of the synths that, um, that I use, I create from scratch. Um, a lot of additive synthesis and that kind of thing. And I work a lot in uh, Logic uh, to, to mix everything together and use different kinds of audio effects like granular synthesis and that kind of thing. Like I really do mm. hear the partnership between the live instruments and the electronic instruments. And I really enjoy that kind of, that they're in the sitting in the same space and it's not kind of acoustic instrument yeah. on top of electronics and a lot or of the time, as, Especially when I'm working with a musician, I like to record sounds, uh, like samples from the score and that kind of thing and include that in, in the mix as well. Yeah. Yeah, I could hear that, especially in the piece you wrote for uh, Colleen oh. Cook, the bass clarinetist, um, who I know from the olden days. And I could hear breathing sounds, like I heard breathing sounds yeah. uh, in the track, I think, which I thought, oh, she she must be uh, collecting other sounds of mm -hmm. clarinetishness um, for this this piece. Given nice, all these different nice things, you you know, you're working with all sorts of different types of performers, you're working with choreography, you're working with electronics. Is there a dream project you have in mind, something you would dearly love to do that, I don't know, involves all of these or none of the above or <laughs> or something? What, 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 what would your dream project be? Mm, um, definitely involving all of the above. Like I've I recently did a piece um, with a longtime collaborator, choreographer based in Toronto, Angela Bloomberg, and we were doing kind of like a song cycle that mixed choreography with um, solo voice, with almost like a dance film, uh, with live electronics. And that was just super inspiring to work on. And I just want to do so much more of that, almost like a, a long concert work of, of that kind of piece that incorporates all of these different mm. modes and media and, yeah. Right. Sounds like there's an opera there somewhere, Julia. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Or a ballet. Or a ballet. Yeah. <laughs> a ballet, he said, with doing rabbit ears. Um, I mean, okay, so now you're doing all of this collaborative work, and then you mentioned that you're, work, you're yeah. composing for orchestra as well, where <laughs> none of that is possible. <laughs> 
how i mean because we we know how that goes with orchestras how does that uh how does that change your whole process when you're writing for for it is a very different mode of creating um because you really have to think about Mm. the practicality of what you're writing because rehearsals are extremely limiting. Um, I've actually been pretty thankful in working with the Spree Orchestra more recently, where we actually do have quite a bit of time to rehearse. Um, But other situations, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's only five, 10 minutes. So you kind of have to think about that in what you write can't be too challenging. It can't be too out of the box for the musicians in terms of extended techniques or that kind of thing. Uh, You really have to think about how do I bring what I normally write or what I like to write into that kind of mode. And it's a a good challenge to think about how I would approach um, that kind of transfer. and it's, it's, it's been very challenging, but um, I feel like I'm starting to get a grasp on uh, what I like uh, to do with orchestras. So. Does it feel like there's more uh, work as our orchestras kind of get up to speed here? Uh, do you feel like there's a greater demand for your music? I think there slowly is more awareness there of who who are composers being very active in the scene, who do write for larger groups. I think for me right now, it's been uh, more about getting tied to different emerging composer mentorship programs um, and early career development programs, um, which, which is amazing that more orchestras are actually taking part in those types of initiatives. But I'm not so sure about later career composers if there is a lot of um, continual programming. Um, I feel there is still a disconnect there. I could go on and on about orchestras and contemporary music, but I won't. (laughs) But I will just drop this little nugget in that I think the problem is that that kind of compressed nature of of the of orchestral um, concert preparation, that there that composers literally have to simplify things to make it more workable and and compromise their work to make it possible for the orchestra. Uh, and orchestras are brilliant and they can do a, an amazing number of things, but there's not a lot of time to explain anything to them, yeah. um, and it drives me crazy. Can can we explain <laughs> to our listeners who may not be familiar with that whole process how it works? You know. Uh, can I can I do it? Because I, I played oh, yeah, in an orchestra were... <laughs> for a little while, for 27 years. And uh, and what, what happens for our listeners is the orchestra has about three, two to three days to prepare a concert. Uh, and that might be the second or even in bigger cities, the third concert program of that week. So there's an incredible uh, mass of music that, that orchestral musicians have to, to stay on top of and to learn. And so in the course of a rehearsal period for this this three day or two day rehearsal period for a concert. Um, there will be the contemporary music piece, which is often a shorter work. Very rarely is is it a mid to length to longer work, but usually it's a shorter work, which will be coupled with a well known symphony, which the conductor invariably wants to spend more time on, um, because he's more invested. He usually he is more invested in the in that piece. So. Composers are faced with 
uh, literally a 10 minute or 20 minute period of rehearsal for their piece. Um, a run through and a little bit of work, and then we got to move on to the symphony, the Beethoven or the Brahms or the Mahler. And this is a, a result of these kind of compressed schedules uh, and the, the, the vast volume of work that orchestras are presenting to the public. So it's hard for composers. It's a really challenging situation to walk into because often composers don't have a lot of time to feed context or information to the musicians. And so we're just playing blind and and then it's done. And then afterwards, you usually hear what the story of the piece was or like Ooh. what it was about, you know, <laughs> that, yeah. So I've always found it to be kind of a frustrating and way too abbreviated process. Now, uh, Julia, would you agree with that at the risk of, of uh, ticking off all of the orchestra <laughs> music directors and managers that listen to this podcast? Uh-oh, um, uh-oh. <laughs> I haven't heard of any of them, but... It is, uh, you know, it's it is a complex. It is a, a not a complicated process at all. It's a dead simple process. It's got to be done quick. You got to yeah. be quick. Yeah, definitely. And part of the uh, the workshops that I've participated in, in like reading sessions with orchestras, they teach you how to make very quick notes while you hear the first run through so that you can right. quickly run up to the, the podium and <laughs> prioritize what are the most important things that you need to communicate to the conductor um, to actually make a difference for uh, the next run through. Um, so it's, wow. it's very systematic in terms of how you kind of approach the rehearsal process and hmm. it's very different from what I normally do with, yeah. uh, chamber music. So it's, you really have to prepare yourself for a different kind of mindset. Warm up by speaking very quickly, but clearly. Yes. You know, lots of words in a very compact amount of time. Yes. How quickly can I speak and still be understood? <laughs> do you enjoy is there do you love writing do you love hearing your music played by an orchestra more than chamber music or is it just a different kind of world it's a very different world like i like some things in one versus the other um for a while i i was really wanting to write more larger ensemble pieces and that that was a goal of mine um, and I'm th really thankful that I'm getting the opportunities to actually do that and explore that kind of writing um, but my passion is definitely more in the interdisciplinary collaborations mm. and that's something that um, I think will be more of my focus moving forward mm. for sure. Mm. Nice. This is one of our partnership episodes with the Canadian Music Centre, and uh, you're an associate composer with them. Can you just tell us about your relationship with the CMC and how all that works for you? Yeah, um, so I'm able to put up a lot of my music, a lot of my scores, on the CMC website for musicians to rent or purchase. I still have a bit of a backlog in putting some more music up there, but... Um, it's, it's a great way for uh, different musicians and ensembles to find my music uh, through their very big library and catalog online. Um, and it's also a great resource for when 
say I'm rehearsing with an ensemble, we're able to rent the, the CMC space and uh, be able to use uh, resources like that very easily, which is amazing. And that's at Chelmer's house in Toronto? Yes. You're, you're talking about the Toronto place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's a lovely space. They've got a very nice piano there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is all that matters, of course. <laughs> Goes without saying, Barbara, you didn't have to say that. We just assumed. <laughs> Um, uh, Julia, you also have a day job, is that correct? I do, I do. I balance both composition and uh, graphic design uh, with my husband. We have a design and development agency um, that we, we work together with a lot of startups, uh, early stage startups to help develop their products. So uh, it's a mix between um, advising and uh, doing early early product development for different apps or uh, digital products. Besides that, I'm also the chair of the Association of Canadian Women Composers. Yes, I kind of have yes. three, three jobs. Right. Uh, chairing uh, ACWC is definitely a volunteer uh, position. Right. Um, yeah. right. But yeah, it's I'm, I'm really thankful to, to be uh, able to, to really help uh, ACWC and kind of help move the organization uh, forward. And it's, it's been really amazing to work with all of our members from across the country and get to know more about uh, the community in that way. Mm. That's a good organization, strong mm -hmm. organization. Okay, so since we don't play any music on this podcast, we want our listeners to find you online, find your work online. Where should people go to hear your music? And what three pieces would you recommend they listen to to know you best? Ooh, three or okay. four or two or one, but okay. you know, some number. Okay, um, all of my music is on my website with a lot of different links uh, to YouTube and SoundCloud. Um, so that's juliamermelstein.com. Uh, so I have all of my pieces up there. Some pieces I'll call out. Um, one that I'm really proud of uh, is actually a commission uh, from a spree orchestra from 2021 called In Water Suspended. Um, so that is finally up on YouTube, so you can uh, watch and listen to that piece. And another one was actually one that you mentioned, uh, Capsule, that uh, I wrote in 2020, uh, commissioned by Ray Music and written for Colleen Cook. So that's a solo double bass uh, uh, clarinet piece with fixed and live electronics. I, I will say your online presence is very well organized. And oh, I, have, I was you. very inspired by that. I'm going to organize my SoundCloud page better <laughs> this summer. It's one of my projects. It's really good the way you had it all bracketed out. Oh, thank you. It's my design yeah. mind. Yes, right. Yeah, I was I can, thinking, I yeah. Can... <laughs> it's a good ad for you. <laughs> Julia, thank you very much for speaking with us today. I'm just so excited about listening to more of your music, uh, which has been a nice discovery for me over the last few days. Uh, and I encourage everyone to do the same. Go and listen to Julia's music. Thanks very much for being with us. Well, thank you so much. Good to see you, Julia. Yeah, and Barbara, maybe too. we'll get uh, to hear you play Julia's music again.
in Halifax. Yes. <laughs> You've been listening to New Musings on New Music. Check our podcast website for links to music and more information about our guests and conversations. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on new episodes and podcast news. Suddenly Listen acknowledges the support of Arts Nova Scotia and the Canadian Music Centre in the production of this podcast. Thanks for listening.